Chicago hard, Chicago hard, Chicago hard. Up and into them, right from the start of the game. to the Chicago State of Mind. We are a Chicago sports podcast from the perspectives of three Southside guys with an unapologetic Chicago bias. If this city could talk, it would say Chicago versus everybody. I'm DC. I'm A-Dub. Chris. Fellas, what's good? DC, what's the good word? A-Dub, man. I ain't hollered at you in a minute, man. How y'all been, brothers? Been great. All good over here, Chris. Man, this weather, man, when we going to get some summertime in the shop, bro? This is like the only time of year we look forward to out here, man. It's been raining like a mug, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has, man. We need some better weather. So. Dude, so my brother's birthday was on uh, Sunday, and uh, we were supposed to go to the Cubs game. It got postponed. I'm not upset about that at all. But we were supposed to go back to uh, – he, he's got another property that has got a pool. So we were supposed to hit up the pool on Sunday. Rained all damn day. So I'm like – Go out the rain, check for another on, on another weekend, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, what it's going to do is, hey, it's going to draw the grass to grow a little bit longer. So, you know what that means, Fred? More yard work for us, man. And that's another thing, man. I'm sick of that stuff, man. I'm like, damn, man, we can't get a break around here. At least let me have some fun. Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, brother. To your brother, too, bro. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely let him know that you said that, man. He's uh, the big 3-8. Happy birthday, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, hey, let's let's get into the show, audience. We hope that you guys have uh, downloaded that Crave It app. As we mentioned to you guys, we have our own exclusive community there on the app. Please use our code, Chicago Versus. Let's get into the show, fellas. First order of business, guys. Duncan Keith, longtime Blackhawk Duncan Keith, was traded to the Edmonton Oilers. Fellas, that's the end of a great era, man, in, in Blackhawks hockey uh, by one Duncan Keith. That guy was definitely a big part of what we've done over the years, man. We're winning out of those cups. So we're definitely going to miss that guy. It looks like Prez, he wanted out himself to get close to the family. And I totally understand that. But man, what a guy with a great resume and done a lot of great things for our organization. Agreed. Hats off to Duncan Keith. Just a five-star effort ever since he he donned that, that Black Hawk sweater, man. His resume, second to none. And, and he's a household name amongst Black Hawks fans here in this city. So... Well deserved, and uh, he can he can finish out his career, like A Dub said, closer to home. So so thank you for your time. To A Dub's point, yeah, he wanted to be traded to a team closer to his son. So I mean, as 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 parents, I mean, everybody can understand that. And there's nothing that this city could say about him and the effort that he put onto the uh, to the ice. I mean, 16 years, man, we saw leadership from him, not only just on the ice but in the community as well. But toughness. Remember the Stanley Cup run when the puck hit him in his face and he had his teeth and they were all knocked out? My man wasn't worried about that at all. (laughs) (laughs) This guy was, a key word I want to use here is durable. 
you know, it's hard to you know be durable in hockey in some ways sometimes where you, like you said, get hit, things of that nature. But man, this guy, man, was tough as nails. And to see him play through all that stuff, man, it says a lot about his character and uh, what kind of player he was. I mean, we talk about this guy was one of those great defensemen, you know, out there. Mm-hmm. And um, not only just a great defenseman, like you said, Press, a guy who can take punishment too. So uh, I'm very happy and fortunate to have this guy play for this team for that long time that he's played. And um, yeah, he's a guy that will be missed in our organization. Yep, he'll have his uh, sweater and number retired up there in those rafters soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Major League All-Star game. So we had that last night. And one thing before we get into that, when I was a kid, man, I would be sitting by the TV, man, like an hour before the game, like just waiting for the All-Star game to start. I used to love like all aspects of it, the home run derby, everything, right? I'm going to say as an adult, I mean, I watched the game just because, you know, the the NBA playoffs weren't on, but it doesn't have that same uh, vibe to me that it did when, when we, when at least when I was younger. I mean, well, how do you guys feel when you think about the Major League All Star Game now, Chris? When I think about the Major League All Star Game, it, I'm with you, Chris. As I got older, it hasn't been as exciting for me as it has been when I was as a kid. You know, I still love the home run part. I still love the home run derby because you love to see people hit home runs. I mean, I grew up watching Sammy Sosa, him and Mark McGuire go at it. You know, right? So I love those home runs. But as you get older, it's like. Oh, it's more than just a home run. That's a big part of the game that I really like the aspect of it. I, I learned to love defense a lot more than I did the offensive side of the game. So, um, yeah, you kind of change over time and kind of evolve. So it's not as exciting as it once was for me. And for me as well, um, honestly, it, there's nothing that's drawing me to it like the appeal of, of you know, previous years back in the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, Otani is a great story, you know. Yes, sir. Who's got one with with him? But you know, aside from that, there's not much draw, and then maybe there there needs to be more innovation because you've seen the NBA try different things with their All Star Game to to shake things up a little bit to add some new flavor to it. Maybe it's time for for Major League Baseball to do the same because the viewership was down and could be a sign of the times that we're living in, you know. But again, there's n- there's not that much draw for me personally. No, I, I think that's a great point, DC. Uh, I think a couple things when, when you think about the game now, and I've talked about this in the past, when I think about we were coming up, there were more African-American ball players, So you had guys that you could gravitate to. You had your kid Griffey Jr. I mean, dude, that guy had the purest, best swing ever, swagged out. I mean, as a kid, dude, I would just wear my hat to the back like Ken Griffey. And I realized real quick, like, hey, man, you got to make sure that hat's straight, man, around some of these neighborhoods. You <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't wish you there. I thought also, too, the game was just cool to me back then. I think I lost my passion towards baseball when the strike season happened. And it's been a slow ride for me getting back into baseball. And I would say Tim Anderson is somebody that's really helped me to kind of get back into the swing of it with the White Sox. And so I'm hoping, man, that they do some things to make the game cool again. The one thing that wasn't cool was those damn jerseys that those guys were wearing yesterday in the All-Star game. That shit was a major no-no. I, them guys out there looking like they were wearing jumpsuits. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of that has a lot to do with marketing as well. That plays a big part of it because you're right. I love Ken Griffey Jr. I like the big Frank, big hurt. You know, those guys I thought were guys I could relate to. And they were guys you can say you can market, key market guys. And I think now... Sometimes I think baseball struggle with marketing players. They're their best players at that, unlike the NBA, who do a very good job at marketing their top players. So I think that's something that baseball should consider looking at um, down the road. How can you market your best players a lot better? Well, I mean, the best player in baseball, and I mean, this is 
to be debated, but I think Mike Trout might be the best player in baseball. And he's somebody that if he walked down the street, most people probably wouldn't know who he was. Right. That's, That's a problem. huge. Mm-hmm. Because you see KD walking down the street, you're like, oh, I know KD. I, his Because in the back of his head looked like the uh, 16th hole of a golf course. But you know that that's KD. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times with Mike Trout and some of these other guys, you have no idea who they are unless they're wearing their jersey. Yep. So baseball got to do a good job with that, man. Better job with that and clean that part of the game up. Because you're right. You want to appeal to the kids. You want to appeal to the fans. And the way to do it is really to market your best players out there, really. And I think if you do that, that gives guys like ourselves, right, more interest. You want to hear more. And the other thing I want to go on the path on, Prince, is the American League have been dominating the National League for several years now when it comes down to that. So the competitive nature right there is like people are looking like, well, the American League probably going to win again. They've been winning for so long. So that could possibly play a part in it, but you never know. Eight consecutive games that the ALs won of D.C.? Yeah, that's a sign of uh, that the scale is tipping in the favor of fans that are, are tuning out versus tuning in. You know, they, if you see eight years in a row, to A-Dub's point, what's the point of even watching? What the NBA did when they changed it to a uh, a draft pool and, you know, the top players get to select their teammates. I mean, that's a simple change. But, I mean, maybe if we do away with National League, American League, some of these antiquated things and then just try something new, maybe it'll garner more attention, not just from a younger audience, but, you know, old heads like ourselves that, you know, we look at the, you know, years gone by as, as, as more of a golden era as opposed to now. Marketing, they got to do a better job of it. Rob Manford, who I've told to many people was the worst commissioner of all major sports. He's got to get out of the way. He, some of the decisions that this man makes, it's like every time he has an idea, somebody in that room should just slap him upside of his head. Nope, Rob, we're not doing that. Because everything that this man draws up is just a flop. He's had some really bad ones. <laughs> and fans hate him. <laughs> like, legitimately hate this guy. So <laughs> he he's a part of the problem. But when you think about the game yesterday, some of the highlights for me was, man, that home run that Vladimir Guerrero hit, that shit was a shot, bro. Man, Vlad is an awesome player. I mean, like his father. I mean, I, I mean, I love his father when he's playing. And to see him doing some similar things at his age, he's a young guy doing some phenomenal things. And you're right, Perez, that hit was strong. Matter of fact, his first at-bat, even though it was an out, a line out, man, that was a good hit. The guy can really, got some nice power, man, was connected. So I wasn't shocked that he hit a home run. I was like, this guy's really heating up, man. So um, when he hit that shot, I was like, whoa, hey, this guy can really play. And um like father, like son. Yeah, he's continuing to put the league on notice. The kid's got some power on his way to becoming one of the all-time greats if, you know, if he keeps this up. Yep. You know that ball flies out of the park there at Coors Field. So, I mean, that was a moon shot. Moon shot. <laughs> My boy Chris Bryant almost had a chance to change that game up, man, but it didn't work out. He had a chance, Brad, some bases loaded, man. He ended up flying out or something like that. So, he had a couple of chances, right? And two innings in a row to do something, but he didn't do it. So one led to a run and then he struck out. And then the other time, frame, he couldn't get the job done. So either way it go, I was happy to see one of my guys out there. You remember what Brandy said about almost? Doesn't count. Perez, <laughs> stop it, man. Stop it, man. Don't make me come over there, Perez. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to tell you, hey, listen, you over here talking about all, all, almost. Is this. Come on now, A-Dub, you can do better than that. Come on. But what you should have said, my boy, Chris Bryant disappointed me because he had an opportunity to make something happen in that game. He had the bases loaded. And what did he do again? I'm not repeating it. <laughs> okay, I, I'm just, hey, hey, is, isn't it fair, DC? He brought it up. That's all I'm saying. He brought it up. 
<laughs> I knew you was gonna relish that, man. I knew you was going, you know, press, it's slick, man. You know, you always you always gotta come from the angle, man. <laughs> Against my boys. Prez out here with the with the red marker looked at A dub's essay like, no, nah, I don't I don't think you should have said that right there. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's the point. Uh-uh. <laughs> red marker. Uh-uh. I read line that one. I'm like, A dub, I don't know about that one, brother. What else you got for me? Oh, how about your closer? How did he look to you yesterday? <laughs> he looked okay. The clothes looked at five. So uh, overall, my two guys look good. Now, I will say this, Chris, and we're back to Chris Bryan. Walsh did rival. You saw that catch, man. That was a great catch by Walsh, man. Good hit by Chris Bryan. The guy got robbed. But the thing is, I like to see a competitive game. I like to see the game competitive. I mean, it was. It got to a point where it got interesting in the game. I think I was riled up for that part of it. But yeah, overall, pretty good. There you go. All right, fellas. Well, this is something that I really wanted to get into and it was about Team USA. So we saw that they lost back-to-back games. They first lost to Nigeria, and then we saw that they lost to Australia. So they had two uh, losses that, that they had, which when I saw that loss to Nigeria, Nigeria were, they were a 28.5-point underdog in that ball game. So for any of our betters out there, I'm not saying that I'm one, but I'm just going to give you a little tip here. If you guys would have put a $100 bet on Nigeria to cover that spread, you would have won $250,000. That's how much of an underdog they were in that game. That's how much disrespect that Nigeria got. And and, and Nigeria went out there with with your boy Coach Brown, and they beat the shit out of our squad. Fellas, (laughs) what's going on with Team USA? Now, I know that they did beat – they did go on to, to have a victory. Argentina, they beat them. I still think that something might be broken with this Team USA squad. Hey, it's hot out there in Vegas, so maybe them boys was in the sun for a little bit too much. I told you, I just got back. It was about one thirteen. I think they, they spent a little bit too much time out there sunbathing, and uh, Nigeria, Nigeria smacked them, Australia smacked them. Exhibition or not, they got to get it together. You know what, DC? I got something real quick before A-Dub get in here. I don't think it was that sun. I think them boys was at Hakkasan or something too long the night before. Something was going on. Them boys was out there on that strip. Y'all asses back inside and work out. <laughs> I will say Team USA look like they struggle with fast-paced teams who were able to get out and transition and can score and hit three. And they struggle with closing out on those three-point shooters. And it hurt them in both of those games against Nigeria and against, the, um, against Australia as well. So I think the, the, the team has to do a better job at defending on that three-point and also do a better job and also in pick and roll. I think pick and roll, they were picked apart. I think it's some cleanup they need to do from a defense standpoint. Offense is going to be there because they got a lot of scores, but the most important part of the game that they're going to have to match is playing better defense. Yeah, and one point, too, that I want our audience to think about is let's not get too excited about the fact that we beat Argentina. Because this ain't the same Argentina team from 2004 or 2008. One thing is, Ginobili ain't coming out that locker room, right? Nocioni's not coming out of that locker room. And Carlos Delfino ain't coming out of that locker room. They got Luis Scola on the squad, but he's 41. That man's got right. half, he's got, he's halfway into the NBA graveyard. So we can't be so excited about that. But AW, you brought up a good point about those teams that are playing with pace and the teams that have those shooters. Now, that's something to keep an eye on during the actual parts of the of this Olympic time where the games actually count. Because teams are going to watch and see what the weaknesses are with Team USA. So they have to tighten up on defense. And I think Kevin Durant, he said the same thing. Where he said, we got to keep the ball in front of us and we got to get stops and get rebounds. Because he said the offensive part is going to take care of, it, of, of itself, right? So I thought that was a really spot on point, a 
Yeah, man. And I think uh, if they continue to work, work on that, focus on that area of defense, I think they'll be fine for us. But you had a good point that we talked about Argentina, though. You're right, man. Argentina is not the same team they once was. And you can see it. I saw Argentina like one or two steps slower years ago when we used to watch them. They were great at that time frame. But now you can see that much older team, right? And then at that point to now where they're just hanging in there. Matter of fact, like you said, Luis Stola was actually having a good game. He's, what, 40-plus? So it's mm-hmm. like, hey, we let the 40-plus guy out here do very well against us. That's concerning to me. <laughs> Overall, man, I wouldn't take the Argentina game too serious because, you know, it's Argentina at this point. Argentina's not what, who they used to be. Well, who was he cooking? Let's just be honest. Who was uh, who was uh, Scola cooking on defense? He cooked um, KD a few times down there because KD playing pretty much the power forward center. And I think Bam was playing down there as well. So he was getting off against those guys. And you're not getting anything from Kevin Love. And I mean, I saw his minutes getting de- getting decreased. So he was cooking cats that should have been able to hold their own against him. Correct. And I'll just say this too. Um, the one thing that we're lacking is uh, we don't have a dominant defensive anchor. Correct me if I'm wrong. Bam is 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 not enough. I mean, unfortunately, Rudy Gobert is, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's uh, he would be. He's playing for another country. <laughs> So when you think about Americans like Dwight Howard, his presence has made a difference in the past. You know, um, I feel like you're going to get cooked. You're going to let a 41-year-old Luis Scola cook you down there if you don't have that that rim protection like you have had in past years. Somebody's got to do it. They got to do it by committee. But that has to get addressed. It really does. Now, one area that I think is going to be a strength for this team, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on it, is I think when the actual Olympic Games kick off, I think that a lot of these countries are going to struggle to defend Team USA in the pick and roll. Because now when you look at a guy like Dane Lillard, the guy can shoot from anywhere on the court, right? Imagine him now on the pick and roll. What are the teams going to do? Are they going to, how are they going to play him off that, off that pick, right? And that's something that you see in the NBA where teams will blitz Damian Lillard, right? To try to force the ball out of his hands. You can't play that type of defense in the Olympics. I see no issues with the USA team offensively. You know, I think with KD, like you said, with um, Dame, you got Bradley Beal, you got other guys out there who can make shots outside shooters, including Zach Levine. We got guys who can shoot the ball and get buckets, right? So I'm not worried about those guys from that standpoint. I think they'll do just fine because I know KD is efficient. Dan can be very efficient from three-point, and you're feeling pretty good about that. And then we have the other guys in there who can do damage. That helps. And then you got Bam right there, who's a very good at mid-range shooting and getting to the bucket on the block. So I think you know, a lot of guys on the team would do well offensively. I agree. I don't see any issues uh, offensively. And if anything, you know, you've seen Dame's range. With Dame and, and Zach Levine in that backcourt, I'm sorry, just as a Bulls fan, I'm I'm salivating over here because <laughs> <laughs> if that's a glimpse of what could possibly uh, come later on this year, you know, in a, in a Bulls uniform or in the United Center, man, you know that's that's going to be lethal. But uh, you know, to Dub's point, yeah, offensively, I don't I don't see it being uh, being an issue. Keep in mind, man, that three point shot over there, the three point line over there, is shorter than it is in the NBA. So it's a lot of guys like shorter. I can step back a few more steps to make it a you know a regular three point line that's in the NBA. So these guys got range, right? They got enough range to where they can still make shots down the road. No, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. You guys brought up Zach Levine's name, and I wanted to talk about him just for a second. So I noticed in the first exhibition game against Nigeria, Levine got some good time out there. Had a pretty solid game, shot the ball pretty well. But when they played against Australia, I noticed that. He didn't get a lot of time. He only played like, I think, like 10 to 12 minutes. So I wondered, 
what what's Popovich doing with the rotations? Is he like tinkering things to just kind of see what's going on out there? But I just noticed that about Zach. But one point that I do give Zach credit on is I saw his activity on defense. He plays some really good strong defense out there. And I'm like, that's a part of Zach's game that we've talked about in the past of being an area that he needs to pick up on a little bit. So that was encouraging to see. And hopefully he can improve on that and bring that into the season. His intensity has kicked up a notch and you could see it. And I think it's just the environment. I think it's the players that Zach is around, that he's absorbing some of those habits. You get a guy that's vocal out there like Draymond Green, you know, like just guys that's just getting into him. And I don't think he's had that kind of leadership. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on any team, on definitely not in Minnesota. I mean, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's sparking at him. But even with this iteration of the Bulls, I mean, that has really been the, the biggest veteran presence in his ear prior to now. So, yeah, you're seeing his intensity kick up and it's only going to mean good things in the future for him as a Bull, you know, so. I really, I really like what I'm seeing out of Zach. Yes, sir. I like a lot of things I was saying from Zach as well defensively. The thing I want to see him improve that really is uh, being able to guard through the screen and roll a lot better. Once you set the screen on, you know, he wasn't fighting over to get through at times. But yeah, overall, his defense did step up, though. I was giving credit. But I think sometimes you have a lot of great voices on that team, like Pop, you know, Pop scene. Pop can point out detail to detail for you and he may be sitting him down just to you know talk to him get him more involved you know get him to see certain things he wanted to see that will help him down the road so you gotta like the fact that a lot of good voices on this team here like um dc mentioned with draymond green bringing a good voice from a defense standpoint um you had katie who learned a lot from from playing with golden state as well on how to defend better so a lot of good knowledge there that he's going to learn so and get more playing time but i think also pop is um trying to do uh, a good job with making sure that you know all the team is balanced and understanding his per- player personnel for game time. I think what both of you guys kind of hit on, I mean, that that's very, very true. And I'm just thinking that a lot of this experience, like we mentioned on last week's episode, it's only going to bode well for Zach going forward. He can bring that type of those type of defensive principles back to the Bulls in the training camp. So I think there's going to be nothing but pluses here. Another area where I think that I'm liking Zach is Zach is doing something that we've seen some of our former uh, franchise-level type guys be unwilling to do. Zach's out here looks like he's trying to low-key recruit. So I don't know if you guys saw that, but uh, DeJounte Murray, they, they said the Spurs uh, might put this guy on the market. And he liked a um, a tweet that put him Photoshopped in the Chicago Bulls uniform, and then Zach Levine liked it as well. So I know, you know, a lot of people like say, oh, we don't pay attention to the cryptic tweets and the like photos but that type of stuff matters especially in this day and age let's not forget that chicago is a major market and Mm. we always see la but finally i feel like the rock finally (laughs) chicago is about to get some respect as a major (laughs) (laughs) out there doing this the team usa he know he knows the platform that he's got right now Anything that he does or says is going to make make news. So DeJounte Murray, I don't care if it's DeJounte Murray, Murray's pomade. I don't care. Whatever Zach wants, get it for him. <laughs> Please, AK, hear my voice. If it's going to make this team better, less, less supported. Zach's in that position. He's, he's, he's the man now in Chicago. It's not Vucevic's team. Vucevic, I feel like, is a 1B. Zach is the guy we're going to lock up for, you know, five years, or at least look to lock up long-term. So, uh, whereas D-Rose didn't do it in the past, like you said, Priz, Zach is taking full full advantage of this. 
Yes, sir. We've already talked about the fact that we do have that D to point guard. DeJounte will slide in pretty well at that position. But one thing that I want to get your thoughts on, A-Dub, is think about the Spurs. They're not known for making like these blockbuster trades outside of that Kawhi Leonard trade, but he forced his way out of there. They're not known for moving from their players. So I'm just wondering if this is something that we need to worry about or if this is just something that just might be one of those offseason rumors. I think when you're in the NBA and you're out there playing overseas, USA team, um, players talk, right? That's one thing they all going to do. They want to all communicate and talk about things. And I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, the Chante Murray play with the, the Bulls. I think he'll be a great fit playing along with um, Zach Levine because that guy can defend very well. And he makes a good complimentary player to him. But for me, I, I would love the fact that we can get somebody to help and bring the board. I think that, hey, these are things that can, could be something serious down the road. I remember with the whole thing with D. Wade and Bosh and, and LeBron, right? Same thing with Katie and Kyrie and Jordan. It's all tough, right, until someone becomes a free agent or something, and then things change around. Yeah, but I think my point was just Pop's not known for letting go of his assets, but the term is out there that those guys can be gettable. So I would say until, I don't know, I just I, for me, when I saw that, I know Zach and, and DeJounte Murray, they're, they're cool because they both come from Seattle, you know what I mean? So when I looked at this, I'm like, man, I got excited about it, but then I thought, like, this is Pop, and then who are we going to give up and trade assets? So I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things. I just wor- I wonder if we can make something happen here or if we should be focusing our efforts on Alonzo Ball. It just was something cool that I thought, meh, maybe, right? I feel like given what we've had the past, you know, what was it, 16 years under guard pack, something like that, these type of conversations were not happening in the off seasons, like where we could get, you know, top tier guys or guys that, that would least would at least want to come to Chicago. You know, like DeJounte Murray's not out here sending laughing face emojis at Zach for liking that tweet, you know, where I right. feel like, you know, that's the reaction that, that would have been like, man, get your weak ass out of here. Ain't nobody coming to Chicago. Like that, that would have been the thought. But now it's like, oh no, I see what these boys are doing over here. So yeah, you might, whether it be Lonzo Ball or DeJounte Murray, I feel like we've got a seat at the table now. And that's because you got rid of fucking bum-ass guard packs. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. DC, you make a good point, man. I like that. That's the one thing you just never know what happened in the NBA, right? You're right. Pop wasn't one of those guys who normally make trades like that, Perez. But you never know. Pop is in a unique situation right now with this team. So you just never know what might happen. And the fact that this is even a rumor, to me, that's that's just stands out to me from, from that perspective. Because how often do we hear these kind of rumors going on about Chicago with getting a decent player and us being on the rise? So I'm with DC there. It's just good to see that's happening. Yeah, we'll definitely see, man. Uh, that he's locked into a long-term extension because he signed that last offseason. So when I was asking you guys earlier how we make something like that work salary cap-wise, I would wonder if we'd have to do a sign and trade with Lowry to make that happen. But we'll see what happens. So, I mean, we got a we got a lot of time left in the offseason. Shit, we still got the NBA draft to talk about. So we'll see what happens there with the Javante Murray saga here for the Bulls or whatever other team. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Another name that I wanted to talk about here is Marco Simonovic. Fellas, this is our 2022 second round draft pick, and the Bulls have signed him to play on the team next season. I got a chance to watch some of his clips and see him play. And this kid is very good in pick and roll, man. He got a good shot for his. The one thing that stands out to me with him is his passing ability, right? He makes good passes. And I think he could be somebody that could contribute off the bench for the Bulls um, down the road. So I do like this kid, man. I like his upside. I mean, he's a tall kid. He can shoot. And you need those stretch fours like him. 
my my sentiments exactly. I feel the exact same way, Dub. Looking at this guy, uh, he's smooth. Like it, he's not he's not going to do anything freakishly athletic that's going to wow you. But he has been tested at the professional level, and that's what you want to see for for a kid that's coming over this this twenty one. You look you look at guys that are coming out in the NBA draft, and it takes them a few years to uh, to get adjusted to the NBA level. But you look at guys like Luka Doncic that come over after, you know, dominating Euro leagues, and, you know, they come over and they're just ready. They just fit right in. And I, that's what I feel like this kid's going to bring that, say, Alari Markkinen didn't necessarily have, which is just that, 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 that dog mentality. Like, I'm in the trenches. I'm ready for war. I'm ready to fight. You know, I, I feel like he's got the right uh, attitude uh, to 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 blend in with this team and actually stand out on this team. He may not be Joker. He could be Baby Joker one day, you know. But to A Dub's point, the passing ability is there, and that's just where the league is moving anyway. You see bigs that could pass. We got to go, Marco. Yeah, the thing that I would add too. So when the Bulls drafted him, and I knew he was going to be a draft and stash player. That's what they told us. But the, my only issue with those type of players is you never know how long they're going to stay overseas. So when I started hearing the rumors that he was interested in coming over here, I'm like, fuck hell yeah. I'm like, because he's still going to be young when he comes over here. It's not going to be a situation like with Nico, where Nico stayed overseas for a couple seasons, right? So that made me happy. So then, you know, I had to fire up some of the tape on this kid. And the thing that I like about this kid is he's got a really quick release on that jump shot. That is something that is really going to be key on this team. Also, the ability to score off the pick and roll. That is another area which he's going to excel at on this team, which is another reason why I want us to go out and get a dynamic point guard because we got to be able to utilize some of these weapons. We talked about that with Vooch a couple episodes ago. So now you bring in another piece, someone that could play the same way off the pick. So I think that is going to be something that's going to be really, really good for us. I'm excited about this move and bringing him here. And he was uh, awesome in the Serbian finals. So you talked about earlier some of that experience that he got playing overseas. And I think that that is invaluable. Agreed. And then look at it, too. Under Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas, you can look at the four corner cornerstone pieces of this franchise as far as like moves and people they're committed to. You've got Patrick Williams, you've got Marco Simonovic, you've got Zach, and you've got Vooch. Those are four good players, two young, two on the vet side, but that that's going to carry this Bulls franchise. So you see they're kind of staggering it with, with vet guys, with young talent that's ready to hit that next level. Like they're in it for the long haul. So the 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 foundational pieces that they're putting in play here ought to get Bulls fans excited. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and one thing too, uh, you guys brought up Joker. Well, who was the person that drafted Joker? It was AK. That's who right. drafted Samanovich? AK did it again. So when I look at this, I say, hey, uh, AK, he's got an eye for talent. And so when I saw how this kid was playing over there, and I saw the fact of how quickly he decided to join the Bulls. I think we might be uh, in for a really good treat with this kid next season, fellas. Absolutely, Prez. And one thing I like about AK, he sort of has a good vision of where the league is at right now. And a lot of teams do a whole hell of a lot of pick pick and roll, including the Bulls. You see that a lot happening. And you need players to be able to play in that kind of a style. So I got to give AK a lot of credit because he's starting to see the vision of what the NBA has turned into now. Yeah, so uh, we'll definitely see what happens there. 
but very excited to see just some of his plan, how it's kind of coming together here. I really am interested to see what happens with the draft. Uh, as DC brought up in the past, there's a chance that the Bulls may try to trade and get into the first round or the back end of that. So we don't know what's going to happen there. And then free agency is another thing to look forward to. But I am excited about just some of these pieces starting to come together for our Chicago Bulls. Let's dig into some Chicago Bears talk. So our franchise QB1 in training, Justin Fields, was working out with Deshaun Watson and Jordan Love. Fellas, talk to him. When I saw that, Perez, the first thing that crossed my mind was that, um, how did that happen? And I had to go back and think about it, that these guys might have similar ages here, and I believe that's the case. But seeing them work out together, I thought that was phenomenal. The fact that you got Watson and our boy Justin Fields in the same room, hey, playing together, man, I thought that was cool, Perez. And, you know, getting that work in early, I like what I saw. When you look at where these guys are in their careers, you've got Deshaun Watson, who's, you know, played in big games like he's already an established figure in that NFL quarterback brotherhood, if you will. But then you take a guy like Jordan Love and, you know, the the controversy that's going on there, like, will, will he replace Rodgers? You know, will he have mm-hmm. to step You know, and then you take a guy like Justin Fields who hasn't even played yet, hasn't even been there yet. So it's like a, a natural, like, progression, a natural learning tree right there. And I feel like for Justin's sake, he can learn from guys in two different situations and, and learn how to, you know, apply their experiences to to what's going to be his NFL career. No, that's a really a strong point there. And to Adel's point earlier, yeah, they all three of these guys share the same agent. Now, there will be some people that will say they didn't feel like that was a good look for Justin Fields and Jordan Love to be working out with Deshaun Watson and that they felt like the agent put them in a bad spot. But at the same time, I think that Justin Fields and Jordan Love, they can stand to learn a lot on the field about some of the things that Deshaun Watson has experienced, some of the finer points of the NFL game. So I do see some value there. The other thing, though, when I thought about this situation is Justin Fields kind of gets an up-close look at Jordan Love. Now, this is a kid that might, like D.C. mentioned, maybe the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers this fall. So now he's got that up-close personal viewpoint of that guy. And you know the competitor in Justin Fields, he wants to be the guy here in Chicago. You know, A-Dub and I talk about it all the time on the Bear Essentials. So the way that Justin Fields is built, you know that he's got a giant chip on his shoulder. And I'm loving the fact that he had that time to compete and and work against uh, Jordan Love in those workouts. Chris, you had a good point right there, man, because I think that all three of them got a chip on their shoulder. Love, with everything that's going on with Packer Nation, of course, you know what's happening with Watson outside the field. These guys all feel like they got something to prove going forward. So I like the fact that they are together. We've seen, you know, with A-Rob working out with some veterans. It, it all happens, man. So to me, it doesn't really bother me that much to see guys still continue to work with other NFL players. People are a little uh, put off by because Deshaun Watson has the, the allegations. He's got to be exposed to other talents, man. Like, regardless of what Deshaun Watson's got going on, that is not a negative reflection on Justin Fields. And again, the agency is is tied to it. So just let the man live. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he's going into his first NFL career uh, and into his first uh, first few games here as a bear. Just, just let the man just live and learn. Yeah, I mean, with DC, some people may feel differently about that. I actually agree with what both of you guys said. I think Justin Fields, what is he 
what does he gain by saying, hey, uh, I don't want to work out with this guy, right? I think that he doesn't gain anything by that. And, and in fact, I think he benefits from having some of those workouts with him. Also, they said that Jordan Love looked really good in those workouts. And that's a stark contrast to the reports that we heard in many camps where people were saying that he looked pretty shitty out there on the field. So looks like Jordan Love been putting in some work. So Aaron, you need to figure out what the hell you're going to do because this kid's uh, he's, he's getting his game on point now. <laughs> you know what, friends? Hey, salute to Jordan Love, man. He's he been feeling the pressure. He knows what's going on out here, man. And uh, you, you can't get mad at a guy for wanting to get better press and wanting to put the work in. So for me, seeing all three of these guys putting the work in press to get better, that's what's important to me. And I like to see any, any player do the same thing. Get your stuff right. Get your body right. Get your uh, skill sets right. Work on things that you're not great at doing and try to get better in all aspects of the game. And then, hey, come out when you get your chance and show what you're able to do. So this is, too, an opportunity for um, down the road for Justin Fields to become a leader. You know, he sees a guy that's the seasoned and Deshaun Watson taking in a rookie. Later on down the line, Justin Fields could do the exact same thing for up and coming talent. So and that's what you want out of your franchise quarterback, showing leadership abilities on the field and off the field. So I feel like this is helping him start his career off the right way. Yeah, I mean, do you see it? It can only uh, bold uh, well for him and his prospects. I mean, and Justin Fields is going to get plenty of work during the preseason. Nagy say he's going to play a ton, so we'll get a lot of uh, looks uh, at Justin Fields uh, this this off season here. And uh, while he may not be the starter immediately, I think this experience of of, of uh, practicing working out side by side with Deshaun Watson is just another piece of his development that I think is only going to help him going forward. So I'm very excited about that. Another thing, fellas, that I'm excited about is Eddie Goldman, who we were wondering, hey, is he going to retire? He didn't show up for the mandatory mini camps. What's going on here? Well, hey, there's some workout videos of, of Eddie Goldman working out about 10 to 15 miles from Hallis Hall. And not only is he working out, this man's putting up some serious weight. This man over here pushing and moving a thousand pounds of weight. So that doesn't seem like a guy that looks like he's retiring. I don't know about y'all, but that's when I saw that, I was like, Oh, he's definitely reporting to training camp. <laughs> hey, friends, I thought the same thing. You just shared it there, man. Watching that video, I was like, wow. They say this guy looking to retire? This guy looked like he's ready to get back to action, man. Looking like he's getting ready to get back to work. I was excited to see that, man, because I'm looking forward to seeing him play. You know how much we missed him, Perez, in the last season because of COVID. This guy can, again, a, a difference maker out there. So just seeing the fact that he's out there working this hard, Perez, he's back in the shy, man, doing his thing. I'm excited. Yeah, it's take back season. He's he's coming for you know for lost time there. So uh, to Adub's point, I'm also excited to see him out there. You know, getting ready, getting in grind mode. He's important to this team without a doubt. So big ups to him and going into this season. We always say, man, he's one of the more underrated players on this defense, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with him. But seeing those videos definitely got me excited. And shit, I went to the gym after I watched that video. Now, I ain't put him no thousands of pounds of weight, but when I saw that shit, it got me excited and pumped up too. So, Eddie Goldman, shout out to you because I had a good workout today. Thank you. <laughs> and then one thing I got to say about that workout, Chris, I was moving at what, thousand pound weight like it was nothing. I was like, what the hell? Man, this guy's strong, man. And he made it look so easy. Well, shit, you see, he goes up against double teams every game, so... He got to get ready for that type of pressure. That's almost 700 pounds of weight that he's going up against in the trenches. So, I mean, shit, you know, doesn't surprise me that he was putting off that weight <laughs> that easily. Mm-mm. 
Hey, no joke Not at all. And that, and that's another thing with too, where people need to put some respect on these players because a lot of times people are too quick to call somebody trash. Well, when you see the way that these guys train and the way that they are built, these guys are built different. So, and I and I and I hear a lot of people doing that, especially with hoopers that they think just because you could put up twenty points at the at the LA Fitness that you could ball, and then you want to call a guy that made it to the NBA trash or a bust. I'm like, man, people need to stop playing. <laughs> these guys are built different. Absolutely, present. Like you had a good point, man. You see the way these guys train, man. They are putting in that work. Yeah, it's a different level. <laughs> all the way, all the way. It's such a different level. Speaking of a different level, Saturday, DC, me and A Dub, we went to the to Chicago Sky game, and great, great time there. The stadium was rocking, but Tina Charles, we want to talk about a different level. She is a problem. She put up 34 in the game and sent the game in overtime. A-Dub, I want to get your thoughts on the experience, but I'm telling you, Tina Charles, they could have do nothing with her in the post at all. <laughs> yeah, Tina Charles is balling, man. Not only in the outside, I mean, in the inside, she was also balling outside. She's a big-time player. I will tell you, man, it looked like more like, um, what do you want to call it, in their prime, Roy Jones Jr. going against uh, Mike Tyson. Tina Charles and Mike Tyson and Candace Parker was more like Roy Jones Jr. They were in two different weight classes, man. And um, I'll tell you, our girl Candace Parker had a little bit of a time working with Tina Charles in that post, man. That lady was getting busy down there. But overall, it was a great game. Good experience for my team. It was. And the one thing that I wanted to just say to any of our listeners of this show, once the Chicago Sky come back from their Olympic break, I would encourage you guys to go out and support them it's a great product. They put on a really good experience. Very good crowd. And you could tell, A-Double, we were there. Those fans were locked in. They actually knew who the players were. We were sitting next to a guy that had a jersey on for one of the uh, the ladies on the team. And he was biting his nails. So you, the fans are into it. And I just think that they need more support from our city and need to get more people out there to support these ladies. Absolutely, Prez. You said it best right there, man. Go out there and support those ladies. I mean, the game we saw, this team we have together here, man, it's a great team. We got three all-stars. They playing very well, Prez. Uh, we saw it live. I mean, those girls really gave it their all, man. They really played their butts off. It went over, it's an overtime game that we lost. Very good game. It's good for you all to watch and see. And just another point, too, when it comes to some of the, the, the ladies for the Chicago Sky that represented in that game. So we don't have to talk about Candace Parker. So, yeah, even though she got bullied a little bit on the defensive end of the court, Candace Parker displayed a very nice all-around game. The floaters, the fadeaway jumpers, the passes. Like, she has a, a high basketball IQ that just, when you see her, when she's out there on the floor, everybody around her instantly gets better. But then, Stephanie Dolson. Now, she's someone we talked about that's going to be participating in the three-on-three tournament in Tokyo. She had a really good game. That's a a big-body player that knows how to seal on the pick-and-roll. She was really good out there. And also, too, somebody that the A-Dubs talked about a lot on the show is Courtney Vandersloot. She was running and controlling the tempo out there in that game. She had 15 assists. I mean, A-Dub always calls her little baby Steve Nash, and that's how she looked out there on, on the floor. I mean, so there were some standout performances in that game, and I really, really had a great time at the ball game. Yeah, me too, Perez. That's a good point you brought up, man, because Courtney was out there running the show. Another person that stood out that came off the bench, I think her name was Allie, number 14. She came in, had some big shots. That young lady can shoot. I mean, she kept, actually brought us back in the game. We are down like 10 or 12, and she came in shooting the lights off that ball, man. So we got a really good team, Perez that I like that we can talk about. And I tell you, that was a hell of a game we saw. 
she went on a five or run by herself. Yeah, Allie Quigley came in. She uh, she had 16 in that game. That's what you need. You need the others, you know, because we talk about Candace Parker. We talk about Clea Copper. But you need Allie Quigley. You need the others. And you know, I'm just going to borrow one from Shaq here. You know, you always have <laughs> the others chime in and chip in, especially if you want a championship. And and I do feel like the Sky are going to be in that conversation this year. I mean, they're putting together something really special. One last point that I had on the, on the game, and this is just me being petty, but that's just who I am. Um, when Trust Arena, I don't know who I got to talk to over there, but your parking situation is awful. It took me 25 minutes to pay for parking, to find a parking spot on the fifth level of the parking garage. Leaving that stadium, it took me an hour and a half to get out of that parking garage. That's two hours of my life. I'm never getting back. What are we doing? I experienced the same thing, man. The parking for me, I got in pretty easy. So I got there early. But man, when the game was over, everyone leaving out at the same time, it's hectic. I mean, it's even getting out your parking space. It's not just out the parking lot. It's getting out your parking space as well. People are not wanting to let you get out, and everyone is right there bunched up against each other. So it's even hard to do that part of it. So I'm with prayers. The parking really does stink. If there's anything that we learned from COVID, it's how to do things orderly. So how do we get back after COVID, and then we go back to the same unorganized chaos of leaving sporting events and concerts? That- <laughs> That's what I expected would get a lot better. And I, I, I hate to hear it that it did not get better for you guys. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. So that's my uh, public service announcement to Wintrust Arena. I still, I think I, I got to call somebody because I'm like, that was just unacceptable. I'm, I'm going to pull out my inner Karen. Who do I call? I don't need to speak to somebody's supervisor. This, that was unacceptable. I had, food, I had cold food waiting for me when I went to pick it up because I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to be up out of here. Wrong. <laughs> I will give them props for one thing though. The cost of parking was uh was fair. I, I will give them props on that part. But I paid for many places for parking and it's been double and triple that amount. So I will give them credit for that piece of it. But to Prez's point, totally get what he's coming from. Parking was hectic getting out of there. Well, I was happy with the cost of the parking being twelve dollars until it took me an hour and a half to get out of the garage. At that point, I would have paid thirty bucks to, to be able to get out of the parking garage. <laughs> Shit, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> no doubt, man. I get it, brother. <laughs> All right. Well, one thing that uh, the A had uh, brought to our attention earlier, and I think um, this is something that's definitely worth bringing up to you guys, is Candace Parker is going to grace the cover of NBA two thousand twenty two. And guess what, audience? She's going to be the first female basketball player that's going to be on the cover of NBA 2K. Fellas, talk to them. <laughs> Five star like DC said, I'm with that, man. But it's awesome to see that support that the WNBA is getting, Chris. That kind of support from um, 2K. You get proud of those things, right? A proud moment there to see that, hey, the transition, how they feel about the WNBA and how they have produced a good product out there as well. And the fact that we can even, even market a WNBA player like Candace Parker, that's huge, man. I'm excited, Prez. I like the allyship there, and I hope to see more of this kind of change going on in the future. Speaking of Candace Parker, she's playing in the All-Star game as we podcast that all WNBA All-Star game is going on. But I got a question for you all. How is Candace Parker only a six-time WNBA All-Star? It seems kind of off, don't it? Yes, Fair. it does. Six six times. Yeah, it seems that off. Yeah, it does. She should be in the double digits at least, you know, with her standing in the game. 
So I don't know. That makes you would think you'd get more than that out of her or more than that happened for her. You just don't know. I have to go back and do some hardcore research on find out that. But you're right. Six times like, whoa, her champion, big time player like this. Only six times. I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and go out on a limb. I think, uh, you know, when you see CP3, it's got that Chris's secret stuff. I think she's drinking from the Fountain of Youth in her Gatorade bottle or something. So she, she's got more time left in her. So I feel like she'll pick up a few few extra uh, nods there before her career is all set. Well, I really hope so. But I think it's a travesty that she only got six. But uh, one thing, though, I was going to say in regards to this WNBA All-Star game, fellas, want to get you guys' thoughts on it. Because when I saw the matchup initially, when I said, OK, we have a, a WNBA All-Star team going against Team USA. And I said, damn, this is a smart idea. Because not only is this good for the fans, because now you got the best players in the entire league going head up against each other. But Team USA gets a little tune-up heading into going to, to Tokyo, which I think Team USA on the men's side could have used something like this. <laughs> hey, friends, that's a good thought process, man, with Team USA versus the WNBA, them going at You're right, that's competitive right there. Both teams trying to win. So that does help you get prepared for something down the road, right, um, for the USA team going out there. So to play against other, component, other, other opponents. So I like that idea. Whoever came up with the idea, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, let's get some cross-promotional Team USA versus uh, Big Three All-Stars or something like that. Give Ice Cube's League some love. Let's get some of these ex-hoopers out there, some bragging rights to go up against Team USA. Yeah, you know, I I don't... Well, DC, I'm going to push back you slightly on that. I watched the Big Three over the weekend. It's the reason why them guys only play half court. Hey, friends, I said the same thing with some of those guys. They out there, man, humping the puck. They're like, hey, yeah. they're out there. You're struggling, brother. <laughs> but, but no, but to DC's point, I do think what I think they should do a better job of is the NBA and the WNBA doing a little bit more cross promotion because. What I think the WNBA does a really bad job of is marketing their league. So I was really happy to see tonight that the WNBA All-Star game is kind of going to be like the preview game ahead of the NBA Finals game tonight. So I thought that's cool because they get to be on that stage where everybody's going to be watching basketball. So you can watch this All-Star game, then now you can watch the Finals game. But I think the NBA needs to work closer with the WNBA to set these things up so that way they can get a little bit more of that primetime shine. Yeah, Prince, that's a good point, man. I think the NBA is starting to see that. Uh, I've seen them do a couple of things. Like, for example, you go to the NBA TV channel, Prince, you start to see a lot of WNBA stuff on that as well. But they're trying. They need to push a little bit harder to get to that, that position that you're talking about, Prince, get to that level to where you're really putting these ladies out there. And I think that's something that I think is probably next step for the, for the NBA. And I think, too, um, if you're going to have success long term, you got to do more with the kids. You got to get the kids involved. Like you said, prayers earlier, you know, Kim Griffey has you wonder where your hat backwards. I mean, these ladies have to start reaching out to, to, to younger girls more. The NBA has to appeal to kids more. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. I feel like it was just geared towards the younger generation. And, and we might have forgotten that a little bit where we're catering more towards adults. And, you know, over time, you know, interests change. So we got to get the we got to get the kids back involved so that when they're of age to go support 
and buy tickets, you know, that, that, that the legal thrive in 10 years, 15 years. You know what I mean? No, that's a total fair point. I think to that thought process, DC, you're right. A lot of times with these leagues, when they market, they're marketing with the adult in mind, the person that's going to be paying for the ticket. But I think that you need to get back to the root of it. If you focus on the kid, think about the little young girl that's right now somewhere in the gym right now, and she's pretending to be Candace Parker. I mean, you guys remember we were younger, man. We would shoot the ball two seconds, three seconds. You were Jordan. Or, you know, Scottie Pippen, whichever one you guys did. But there's a, there's a little girl out there that's doing that right now and mimicking Candace Parker. That is the individual that they need to be attracting. They need to start doing more commercials with that in mind to attract that female athlete. Because that is going to be your draw. You, you get more of them into the game, the parents will be there. <laughs> the parents are going to support. You got to get to the kids. That was deep right there you mentioned around the fact that the commercial spreads. That is huge right there. Because you're right. We think about Jordan. A lot of times we like to like about Jordan out, outside, off, off the court was around those commercials. I love those Jordan commercials, even as a kid, you know, growing up. So you're right, Chris. If they can get these women some of those type of commercials, they are cool, they are appealing to these kids. I think that's a good step in the right direction, right? So I think you got some great women who are like Candace Parker, who are phenomenal, right, at, at what they do on the court. Giving them the opportunity to be in some of these commercials that are that cool press would definitely help and take them a long way. Yeah, with that spirit of what you talked about with Michael Jordan. You remember those Gatorade commercials? Mike would be like sitting there on the sideline drinking that orange Gatorade. And my, I tell my mom, hey, mom, I need some orange Gatorade, right? Orange Gatorade is the worst tasting Gatorade that's ever been made. But I drank that shit because Michael Jordan <laughs> drank that shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly, friends. It's, so, hey, it's something we all can, can take from it, right? Like, hey, it's mutual interest between Michael Jordan and I because you're right, the Gatorade thing, right? And I think the same way with the women, right? You can put one of those women in the same situation, friends, and we'll look, it's a cool commercial. Because, you know, Jordan always had that cool smile, man. That you know that that flair, right? On those commercials, like, oh, that's Jordan, man. It just looks so cool. So we got the women who also make things look cool. And I think that also help, like you're saying, friends. And yes. I want to just interject really quick and give a, a five-star shout out to uh Zayla Avant-Garde. Hope I'm saying her not her name right. She was the uh 14-year-old young lady that won the Scripps National Spelling yes, Bee. She's got handles and she could ball. So shout out to her because you never know, she might be making her way into the WNBA one day. You never know, but uh and, and what did she say, DC? She said basketball is my first love, and what I'm really good at, she said, I do this spelling th- spelling bee thing on the side, and she won that thing. <laughs> man, kudos to her, man. That's big, big ups. I loved it. Well, speaking of big ups, big shout out to my boy Tim Anderson. I know we talked about the all-star game earlier, but wanted to just quickly give a shout out to my boy Tim Anderson. He was added to the all-star game as a replacement for Carlos Correa, but he should have just made the team all together. But I just wanted to throw that in there. Shout out to you, Tim Anderson. Love you. Can't wait for the second half of the season, bro. Yes, sir. Uh, the other thing, when I when I think about the Chicago White Sox, Eloy is coming back. We briefly touched on that last week. But, fellas, Eloy is now in a rehab assignment, and he is knocking the fucking cover off of the baseball right now. And uh, on Monday, the White Sox transferred him to AAA Charlotte. So it's a matter of time, man, before we get him back in that lineup. And I am salivating. I am so happy. And I can only imagine when we get him in that lineup, it's going to be over for you people in that AL. I'm telling you, it's going to be a problem out there for y'all. And I'm going to be insufferable on this podcast. I promise y'all. 
<laughs> hey, bro, I know you're going to do your thing there, man. Hey, Eloy's, uh, his fire is set to medium high heat. <laughs> it should be done. <laughs> it's just simmering right now, DC. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> just, just, right. mar- just marinating over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got a good one coming back, bro. He's got a good one, man. He's looking good out there. And the thing is, you, you got your DH. So you guys are not going to put him out in the outfield. You got a guy that can DH. So uh, he has a hot swing going on right now. To that point, Perez, I can see your boy still booming, man. So far, so good. I see a better second half coming. And no, he would not be out in the outfield because that's how he got hurt the first time. But we got Billy Hamilton. We got Ingles. We got Brian Goodwin and Andrew Vaughn. So out of all four of those guys, I would rather see them platooning in the outfield and just DH Jimenez and let's just keep it moving out there. But the White Sox first place club, I can't wait for the second half of the season. A-Dub, we're going to talk quickly about your Chicago Cubs. Not a first-place club. Now, Wilson Contreras had a lot to say on the team's effort heading into the All-Star break. Wanted to get your thoughts on that, man, because when I saw that, I saw some leadership out of Wilson, but I saw it was troubling for other aspects of the Cubs. I wanted to see what you thought about that. I remember, Perez, when Carlos Zambrano made some comments, and it, it took the team off. It really did. Um, in this case here, I thought Wilson Contreras you know, softened the blow a lot in, in his statement than what he shared. But what I will say, it's okay to call your teammates out. I just don't think calling them out in public is always the right thing to do because it can tick a lot of people off. Do it behind closed doors. It always seems to go well that way, Perez. You can always get what you got to get off your chest at that point. But no one wants to be put on blast as a team. And sometimes that can pretty much make things a little bit more cloudy as a, as a unit and a camaraderie as a team when a player is putting everyone on blast. He didn't put everyone on blast, but he put most of the team on blast. He was cool with how he biased. But everyone else, he kind of took a, um, a shot at, if you were, if you think about it. And he was like, homie, on half-baked. He was like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. I'm out. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> Shit, all right, Wilson. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, uh, I think Ross, the coach, kind of came, the magic kind of came out and tried to, you know, um, lighten the blow a little bit more. But what that lets me know, Perez, is that there are going to be some changes to this team. As you can see right now, things are kind of broken, a little fractured. The team is also spiraling down in the wrong direction from a win standpoint. So really, sin will come out like that. All those things, emotions start to come out when you're losing. Well, I mean, let's think about this, right? So obviously, it's frustrating uh, to be in a season where you're not performing well, you're losing. And you got a guy like Wilson Contreras. He plays the game with a intensity. He sometimes would get under his opponent's skin with some of his antics. But I would say this. He's probably looking at the effort of his teammates, and he sees the guys are coasting. Guys are kind of mailing it in a little bit. And that's why he took the shot. And he said, I don't have to worry about myself. I don't have to worry about Javi Baez. Because when you look at the guys playing on that team, those are the two guys that you really think of as hustle and, you know, and playing all out. And I think that if you're a Wilson Contreras on a team that you know is, like, not going anywhere this season, it's got to be frustrating. Also, he could walk at the end of the season. So I think that this is a message to Jed Hoyer as well of what are you going to do? What is the direction that this team is taking? Because this guy who could be a big piece of your future could just say, you know what, I'm out of here. Yeah, that's a very good point there, Perez. You're right. And, and all that does, all that matters that you brought brought up, Perez. And you got a guy that won before with this team, right? 2016, they won. And he knows what it feels like, the effort that it takes to win a championship, to win the games they won. So he sees that things are looking differently now. So you're right. It puts pressure on the guys in the front office to make some moves that's going to move the team back in the right direction. 
to me, it just signals a guy that wants to win. When the ship is already sinking, you have to do something to try to preserve your season. So this was probably one of those necessary evils, if you want to look at it that way. But, you know, you see the the tumble that they made in the past month. You know, we still got to get through July. We still got August to get through. So they could turn it around. You know, it, it just it just takes everybody getting back on the same page. Yeah, forever an optimist. I, I love it. Yeah, right. I like that, DC. I'll take it because Perez wasn't going to do it. So thank you very much, DC. But, but on the flip side of it, <laughs> on the flip side of it, you just don't want anyone in your locker room airing out the team right to the public. And that's always been something, not only in baseball, but also basketball, football. We just hate to see those things come out there in the air where a person pretty much exposed the team and how you're playing that way. You want to keep it in-house for the most part. Yeah, no, and I hear you, man. I mean, we all play sports, right? And not to the level what these guys do. So you would obviously want to make sure that people are having conversations behind closed doors, keeping family business, you know, within the family, if you will. But I don't know, man. I, I didn't have a problem with him airing those guys out because if I were a Cub fan, you know how the fans, they feel the same way he probably felt. So they probably like the fact that he said that shit. So I don't know, man. Like to his point, he said everybody's built differently. And he just said, hey, I know they might be tired, but he said, I'm here to compete. So I like that type of energy. You know what I mean? So if that were me, I would feed off of that. I'm like, shit, okay, Wilson, I'm following you. Second half, man, I'm stepping my shit up. I know I was slacking before that all-star break, but I heard what you said. I'm here. I'm ready. So I don't know. It could work both ways, guys. It could work both ways. Yeah, I like that optimistic there, too, for from you. So I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's something we don't get out of you often, so I'll roll with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's all, because it's not looking too good by, by the standards. I'm trying to get some hope. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying. I'm trying to be good to my boy A-Dub, man. He's a good man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate this, friends. I really do, man. I'm loving this right here. I'm, I'm going to relish this moment right now. Yeah, you because you, audience, remember these words, because this is at the All-Star break now. <laughs> Second half of the season. <laughs> Right. They, they go on another 10-game loser streak and all bets are off around here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take like a get out of them today. That's it. That's right. That's you smart man for that. <laughs> <laughs> but one last thing that I wanted to touch on with you guys is Chris Bryant. So obviously, uh, A-Dub and I had a little moment earlier in the episode talking about him at the All-Star game. Shout out to Chris Bryant. I, I've been very impressed with him, how he's been able to block out a lot of these trade rumors, not just this season, but the last couple of seasons. Uh, we know that he and the Cubs have not been able to, you know, come to terms on a long-term agreement. So he's been getting a lot of questions about, hey, what are your thoughts on if you're going to get traded? And, and every type of way that the media can ask the question to him, they've tried. Will he be here in Chicago through the end of the season? And do you think the Cubs will end up re-signing him? Chris, it's possible that he can end up here through the rest of the season, but I don't think the Cubs re-sign him back. I okay. think the fact that he's going to price himself out for us to the mm-hmm. point to where the coach like, hey, look, we're not quite there yet to give you that kind of money because right now we're in a, a transition stage to where we don't look like a playoff caliber team at this point. We're trying to get back to that point again. So signing you to all that money just might be a waste. Yeah, I think this is Brian farewell tour. Yeah, I, I kind of think so too. If if uh, if Jed Hoyer were, were a smart man, which I'm sure he is, he's got to trade Chris Bryant at the deadline. I mean, can you imagine the, the damn haul that they could get from him? I mean, phew, 
they could get so many, they could beef up that farm system, replace like the guys like Eloy Jimenez that they got rid of. Like there's a lot that the Cubs need to do with their farm system. I think you trade Chris Bryant. I think yeah, you Chris. have to. Yeah, I think so too, Chris. I think you better off trading him than letting him walk for nothing, right? Because he can just yeah. walk for nothing. So trading him, you get something back in return. So I think it's time for the Cubs to be aggressively searching for a suitor for him at this point. Yeah, because with that in mind, you you trade Bryant. Then you re-sign Javi. You re-sign Contreras. And you maybe sign back Rizzo. If you try to re-sign Chris Bryant, there's not going to be enough money to go around to all those other guys. It's just not. So I'm that's just the way I see that. Same here, Perez. That money is going to cost. And you know Scott Boris don't play. No, nah, man. Chris Bryant probably going to get about three, $300 to $350 million contract. I mean, it's, you see the type of contracts that get signed in baseball. So, But he's going to get paid. He's getting that ball. Listen, that brink truck about to get backed up. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if he gets hot, Perez. This next, the second half of the season, he starts to get hot. Oh, whew. I'm quite sure a lot of people be knocking at the door looking for him at that point. Shit, even if he don't get that, they still going to be knocking him. Because like how we talked about earlier in, in the season here, that versatility. He could play third base, first base, play in the outfield. And the guy hits with power, hits for average. Man, you can't find that just anywhere. That's a lot of value right there in that player. So, man. My question is, you're too late trading Chris Bryant. Do you think you could have gotten a smoke? Now, DC, now you came to pod. Yes, sir. That's a very good point, audience, because that is when they should have traded him. Now, you'll still be able to get a decent haul for him now, but last year, bro, <laughs> you could have really had some, some nice little haul. Yeah, maybe so, Perez. And, uh, but we're here now, so I think you're right. We may have missed our window to where we could have got a lot more, but I still think there's some value here with them that we can still get something back in return. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a decent haul. It's gonna be a decent haul because I mean this is baseball we're talking about. And even if a team trades for him just as a rental, just to help them get into the postseason, they're still gonna have to give the Cubs some top-level prospects. So I guarantee you Jed Hoyer is gonna be working those phones. I, I think that you guys are gonna have some movement on that team. You guys are gonna sell off some pieces. I just totally see that happening. Yes, sir. I see the same thing, Brass. I think Theo stepped down at the right time because (laughs) in my opinion, and this is again, just my opinion, I don't think given the relationship that he had with the players that won that that world series, I don't think he could have made the call or or made that decision to trade any of those guys. You know what I mean? Like, like we're talking about the Chris Bryant. Like, I I just think, you know, he, he just did not want to do it. He just said something else. I can't break it up. I think that. And I also think that, Theo saw the writing on the wall. He saw that ownership wasn't willing to spend. He saw that, hey, this team is getting a little older here, and this team is not going to contend. I'm going to keep my uh, legacy and pedigree intact here. I brought Chicago a a World Series championship. I'm riding off to the sunset. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, friends, he made sure he ended on a good note, unlike what he did when he was in Boston. You know, this last year in Boston, things kind of went sour. With yep. other players out there drinking on the job and everything else, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> went on. So he didn't go out like that in Chicago. He's like, look, like you said, Perez, he saw the writing on the wall. He jumped ship at the right time. So kudos to Theo. He bought the chip here. He just knew when to get out the door. Yes, sir. Well, fellas, final segment time. If this city could talk, if this city could talk, it would say, people, please don't get distracted. Now, there are a lot of things that are going on right now through the media. But I would just encourage everyone to keep your eye on the prize. Yes, 
Crime is an issue in Chicago and people are being killed. But I want you guys to realize that there were 50 plus laws that were passed last week, right? These laws affect our everyday lives. I guarantee you people that are listening to this show, you guys don't even know the laws that were passed. I'm gonna let you guys Google it, see for yourself. So stop letting the media distract you. One other thing that I have for you guys, do you know who your alderman is? Have you ever called into your alderman's office? Is your alderman getting things done in your community? These are the things that we need to be focused on because we need to know who these people are and let these people know that they work for us, the people. Because if not, we should be voting these people out of office. These aldermen are paid handsomely in this town. They need to earn those salaries and they need to represent us, the people. Well said there, Chris. Excellent. If this city can talk, the city would say that, hey, this city needs more allyship. Reason I'm bringing it up because when crime hits, it doesn't hit close to home enough. People turn the other cheek when it's not their neighborhood, when it's not their area. And I think we need to realize that, hey, crime in the city is all of our problem. It affects us all. It affects one community, it affects all communities. And I think we need to look at it that way. I think we need to do a better job at handling those kind of things and bringing in resources and things of nature to help fix things around. And I think we can do that together. So I think allyship is something that we're going to need to see these uh, underserved communities get that for sure, because therefore we can help change things around in those communities. And hearing different voices, right, Chris, all that stuff makes a difference. But to, to show allyship, you got to hear the voices of what streets are saying, what people are saying in these communities, and why there's still crime that's going on to this level in these streets. So we all got to play a part and want to unify ourselves and try to do something about it. We can't just say, oh, that's 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 that side of the town. That's on the south side or that's on the west side. Oh, that's there and not worry about it. No, we need to be worried about it. We need to have our eyes on these things and actually become hands-on with how we can do what we can do to help. Yes, sir. I'm going to interject a little bit of, of uh, lighthearted Chicagoanism into this. But I'm going to tie it up. I'm going to tie it up together. I want y'all to watch this real quick. If this city could talk, it would say it's pop and not soda. It's not Coke. Anybody from Chicago knows we call it pop. <laughs> now, with that being said, a general consensus, a general agreement, what this city needs, if it could talk, is that same type of energy, the same type of camaraderie, that same type of uh, agreement when it comes to the issues that we face on a day-to-day basis. You know, if we could all agree that it's one thing, like it's, it's, it's wrong to shoot another human being or it's wrong to shoot a kid or it's, it's wrong to, you know, to stand back, stand back and do nothing. If we can all agree that that's the case, then let's just move all of our collective efforts towards fixing that problem. Let's not have instances where it's okay in this case, but not okay in this case. It's okay if it's that color. It's not okay if it's that color. If it's happening to this person, it's okay. If it's happening to that person, it's not okay. Let's just all keep that same energy. And then listen, listen more and discern more. You know, not every piece of news is good news. And sometimes you have to use your senses to to decipher what the agenda is behind that. If you do a quick Google search on Chicago news, I guarantee you most of the information that is, is, is in your face is going to be negative. So I challenge you just personally, go find some good information. Go, go search for something newsworthy that's a positive reflection of this city. You know, don't always be, you know, fed with all the, the negative information. Go out and dig for the positive information. And if you can't find it, give it. Give some positive information to somebody. That's just my two cents on it. 
Hey, I love that, fellas. Uh, collectively, I think we pretty much all were saying the same thing, but we just said it in our own unique ways, which is par for the course with us on this show. We all have our unique ways of communicating, and I really appreciate uh, the words there because I'll echo, A-Dub, you're right. We do need to have that allyship. These problems that are going on, it's not just the problems of that one community. No, it's everyone's problem. We should be looking at this as if you see a failing child in school, you shouldn't just look at that child and just say, oh man, that kid over there is struggling. No, our kids are struggling. What can we do to move the needle, right? And then in DC's point, keep that same energy. Like, come on now, let's stop feeding it to the negativity. And if you don't have anything positive, then you create that positivity. You create the change that you want to see in this city. Audience, thank you for listening to this show. We're going to have the Justin Fields uh, contest is going to be kicking off here this week. Stay tuned for details on that. Fellas, dope-ass episode, and we are out. DC, go on and sign us off, bruh. Thanks for listening to the Chicago State of Mind. You can find this show wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow or subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We appreciate your support of our show. If this city could talk, it would say Michael Jordan is and always will be the greatest of all time. The GOAT.